Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. We're going to cause trouble. Scott Farrell is calling the shots from the sideline. We're going to make fun of people. We're going to hurt people's feelings. It's Farrell on the bench. I believe in whipped cream with everything. It's pain-free Friday for Brell on a bench in the biggest way possible, hanging out. The bad seed of broken data, bad apple with a bad attitude, hanging around a bunch of bad attitudes, bad taste, bad luck, bad dude, bad breath, bad attitude, bad vibes. We are live in the Pharrell Palatial right across the river and through the woods from where Granny just stole another satchel of mine. I think it was the hybrid citrus tsunami when she was drinking shots of JMO in New York City. The Big Apple. Ooh. People dressed in plastic bags, directed traffic, some kind of fashion check it up, should do, but I'm a friend that come around, flights to flights to party up, rats on the west side, bed bugs uptown, what a mess, this town's a tatter, my brain's splattered all over Manhattan, should do, be check out, ooh. Hey, what's gigging? It's Pharrell with Mafia tonight. And here's the situation as we speak. The Braves lead the Dodgers again. They're in the top of the third, two to nothing Atlanta. And they got uh, runs basically in the first. Darno had a sack. Uh, I think a, a sack fly to right. Freeman scored on that one. And then uh, Pache single to center in the bottom of the second. Swanson scored on that one. That made it two zip. As far as the other game goes, Houston is two outs away from forcing game seven. They lead seven to four over the Rays. Another big night for Houston as they've come back from 3-0 in the series to tie the series at threes. And tomorrow night will be a winner-take-all game seven. As far as college football goes tonight, I hit the SMU win over Tulane both ways. SMU to win, Tulane plus the points. It was 37-34 Stangs in overtime. A game-winning field goal in the extra session. Won it for SMU. They're 5-0 now. And BYU's up 14-3 in the first over Houston on the road. BYU looks good early in this one. It's Pharrell on a bench. Go with us. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. 
So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. for the unpaid free Friday and uh, the Dodgers are down to nothing in the third with two outs bets is up. And it's just unbelievable to me that I don't know. It's like they're sleepwalking. I know they got Dustin May going, but they're down a couple runs in this game already. I find it crazy that they aren't, you know, it would appear to me attacking at all, like trying to, you know, do anything to get on base. Uh, they're not up there swinging away. They're not doing anything. Like, literally, they're just walking through this sleepwalk and literally. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Down two zip. Like, you know, the difference being in that when I was watching, right, the Astros the last three nights, they just were going after everything. They were swinging. They were fired up. They were intense they were i mean just completely rabid dogs going after the rays every night every play they made they were fired up they were making turning double plays they were fired up there was a, a scene in that game tonight with yandy diaz going at it with valdez the pitcher and they were arguing with one another like a fight was going to break out and then Correa came over and lit up his pitcher valdez and told him you know don't let them get in your head and Something like that. He was screaming at him and uh, calming the kid down because he was so fired up because uh, Diaz wanted to beat his ass. There was a whole thing going on there. Cuba and Puerto Rico. They had a whole like, you know, back and forth. And the catcher was like he understood the catcher understood Diaz's complaint with the kid. The kid said something to him or taunted him something. And Diaz wasn't having it. And then my point is is that like the Astros were all kinds of fired up and they're just involved in the game. And I'm like watching the Dodgers right now and they just look lifeless. I mean, it's like they, I mean, aren't even taking it seriously. Like they got this in the bag or something or that they're not worried or that they got all night. Uh, don't worry about it. We haven't done anything in the first three innings. We'll get them in the next three. I, I don't understand their philosophy but they got this look on their face like it's no big deal but it's anything but right it's anything but that it's a, a problem here they're in dire straits uh, they're in a serious problem here with the Braves if they give up literally in my opinion mafia any more runs at all literally they're down two already if they give up a couple more runs if this gets to four or five it's over um, the Braves pitching is too good. Right, and that's the problem sometimes when you have such a good offense like the Dodgers do, when you feel like you can score at any time, you know, maybe you don't have that same sense of urgency for you. Oh, we'll get it at some point. It's not like they're going to shut us out. Well, you know what? Their pitch has done pretty damn good against you for a lot of this series, so maybe you should have a little more urgency. Maybe you should give the bats a little tighter, swing a little harder, go for the fence a little more because there's no guarantee you're getting those runs that you used to get every other game. 
So I'm like, uh, you know, I got all these games going. So the Astros already won. They got it done. Uh, it was huge that they've come back from 3-0 down. Now, look, I think the conversation that I was seeing for this game tomorrow uh, was that it sounds like, you know, obviously they have uh, Glass now ready, but Charlie Morton is on normal rest, and he's uh, the choice. Uh, from what I'm seeing, it's going to be Morton. And I would rather, I'll be honest with you, in a big game seven, I would rather go with Charlie Morton in that spot if I were Cash and the Rays, then Glasnow. And here's why. I thought Glasnow pitched average, and so did he. He even admitted that he was average uh, when he pitched the other night. And I thought, uh, you know, Charlie Morton won game two, right? So, look, Charlie Morton looked fantastic when he pitched. Do you know that I I think that since he's come over, I I think they said something in the middle of the game tonight that I I caught. I, I could be wrong, but I think they said something about the fact that I'd have to, like, research it or something and i didn't do that but i think what they said was he's never lost a playoff game with the rays you know since he came over from houston and so here's this guy um you know when i see him pitch uh, his you know complete command of what he's doing methodical takes his time he's very deliberate he's focused he's driven by you know throwing good pitches throwing strikes working batters and uh he's dangerous still he's the oldest guy on the team but it doesn't matter he's still got filthy stuff and he throws all kinds of different pitches it's not just one or two pitches he's throwing four pitches at least and i think you know i like glass now stuff i won't deny that glass now throws 100 miles an hour 101 miles an hour I get all that, but that didn't seem to phase the Astros or their lineup. You know, when you look at lineups in the teams that are left, you have to think, you know, one through nine, no one can argue with the Dodgers have probably, based on, you know, performance and regular season and the last several years, uh, they have been proven to pudding. They've had the best one through nine lineup. And then, I think, you know, that the Astros have the second best one through nine hitters. And then I would say, uh, you know, fairly even between the Braves and Rays. Look, I felt that the Rays were the best team with pitching and defense and hitting and home run power. And and not necessarily in any order. I don't think you can just win hitting home runs because that's what the Rays do. They just hit home runs and score all their runs, right? But I think that the bottom line is is that uh, they were the best overall team in terms of the whole package. You know, if you include every facet of the game and combine it together, I think they're the most dangerous team. But they are in serious trouble. And I think that One of the reasons they're in serious trouble is because they've stopped hitting. They don't uh, they don't score runs. They only score runs when they hit home runs. And the Astros one through nine has lit up their pitching. It's simple. That that's it. It's just simple. They have raked. They have scored runs. They have come out early. Altuve hitting home runs. Springer hitting home runs. 
scoring runs, getting a lead, and getting pitching. I mean, Dusty Baker had like five rookies throw the other night, and they were all rookies, and they just all did their job. So he is patching it together. He's piecing it together, and it's working. And no one can argue with their bats or their talent in that lineup in terms of uh, when they're at the plate. I mean, every one of those guys can rake. And, I mean, you know, if Bregman's not hitting, like somebody else picks him up. You know, Correa's been the hottest hitter. There's no doubt. He had the walk-off home run uh, to win game five. And then uh, tonight they they did it again. I mean, it really... It really is amazing. Uh, Morton, 4-0 in the playoffs, 2-0 versus Houston with the Rays in the postseason. He's given up four runs in four starts. So, I, you know, I don't know exactly what the uh, plan is for the Astros tomorrow, but I do think Morton is the guy for the Rays, and he's their best hope because he could actually stem this entire atrocity of their lineup not hitting they're not hitting at all right so they've gone cold but they got a pitcher that can actually give the astros problems he already did it once so ask yourself this question are you willing to bet on charlie morton tomorrow as a better are you willing to go to the window and bet on the rays because of charlie morton because i know you're not going to go bet on him based on their uh cold bats I mean, you'd have to think after they've won three in a row, the Astros, that they own all the momentum and they're inside the Rays heads now. I said this on Coast to Coast today. They are not going to sleep well and they're going to be tripping all night, all morning, all day, knowing that they have choked. They, they've let them back in this. They should have won this series and now they're choking and they know it. It's in their minds. So I think that's a factor against the Rays, knowing that they're about to be the second team to ever have it to them. The Red Sox did it to the Yankees in 04. It could happen again tomorrow. Hey, everyone. It's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you. Because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life. So I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a bench on a pay-free Friday. All right, here's a drive. Uh, Swanson, oh, what a play and right by Betts. 
He's going to throw it home, but the runner's safe. Azuna saved the plate on a short fly to right. Betts ran in and made a shoelace grab and then threw it home to a sliding Azuna. And uh, they're looking at the replay. All I know is that uh, he was safe. I mean, I got to see it again to believe it. But first things first. He caught that ball. That's a beautiful catch by Betts. It definitely was in his glove. So there's no questions asked there. And then I got to see the, uh, I got to see the, oh man, he was not on the bag. He, he left early. They're going to get him leaving early. I wouldn't be surprised. It's three, nothing. I don't know. If you watch that replay, you'll see that it looked to me like without a doubt that he, he left the bag early. He was not on the bag when Betts made that catch. In fact, he was three feet off the bag. He wasn't even close to tagging up. He was three feet off the bag, and they're going to get him. They're going to throw the ball over to third and get him because he left the bag early. There's no doubt. Did you see the play, Mafia? Yeah, he was definitely off the bag, he, at least by a foot. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. He was not, you know, usually you see the guy but, get there and, like, get the foot, like, planted and waiting for the catch. He just had a complete mental lapse that he was skipping before he was even Listen, in the glove. No disrespect. He was three or four feet away from the bag when, yeah. when he made that catch. There was no one foot. He was three he or four steps play. away from the bag. He was like fully down the line from, uh, from when he caught that ball. When the ball was in his glove, he was standing three, four feet away from that bag. He was not on the bag. He did not tag up. They're going to nail him at third. That run's not going to count. Yeah, he completely didn't think that he was going to make that catch. He thought he was going to fall right in front of him, so he was off and going already. That's right. So I think they got him dead to rights, and I think you'll see that. I don't understand. I got to be honest with you. What takes him so long to make a decision? Because here they are. They're making this decision. They're going to get the guy at third out. I was right. Boom, there you go. Azuna's fault. Azuna should have stayed at third, tagged up, and he still would have been safe. Maybe not. I mean, the catcher swung at him and missed him. But I, I think, you know, I guess the three or four feet that he was off the bag made the difference. Because uh, if he would have tagged up and been on the bag when Betts made the catch, he probably would have been out on the throw because Betts made a perfect throw to the catcher who swiped and missed Azuna. You know, Azuna was safe because he beat the throw by like a foot or two and slid in, right, and was safe. And that was because he left the bag early. And that was painfully obvious. That's my question, though. Why does it take so long to review a, a play? It's unbelievable. Because when we see it on TV, let's just face facts, they're looking at all the different angles and whatever they're using, uh, super, slow-mo, uh, 5G. They're using uh, gigantic camera angles that we don't even have. And they see it all at the league office, right? But my thing is, when we see the replay, when we're watching on, on you know, network television, whatever, when we're watching the game and you see it five times in a row, when they just keep showing the replay over and over, because that's what I was going off of. Betts made a catch. Azuna left early. He's out. He's going to be out. And I said it. It took me all of about a minute, right? Why did it take them five minutes to make that call? I mean, it just takes forever, these replays. It's the same thing in the NFL. Every time they have a replay, it takes five minutes. College football tonight. I saw a play where the BYU quarterback was running to the corner of the end zone, and he got tackled, 
and he dove for the end zone. They gave him the touchdown, but his knee was down. Sure enough, they do a replay. He's down a half foot from the goal line. They would eventually score. It didn't matter. But the replay, they go to the replay, and it takes five, seven minutes. It takes seven minutes to make your mind up. Like, I don't understand why it takes so long. Seriously. And don't tell me so that they can get it right. Because you and I can be, we can smoke a bone and absolutely drink six beers and still be able to look at a replay on television and see if the guy's, you know, in the end zone or not, or if his knee was down, or if the guy left third base early. I mean, how long does it take you, Mafia, even if you're baked, to see that the guy left early or that the guy's knee's down in a football game? Why does it take seven minutes to uh, get a replay call? It takes forever. Yeah, I don't know. That one, like you said, was pretty obvious. It's one thing when you have something that's kind of very hard to tell, you know, it's inconclusive one way or the other, and you really want to make sure you get it both ways with that one. Like you said, once you see, A, he made the catch, okay, that's the first one. That's done in 30 seconds. Then, B, is he off the bag? Yeah, that's obvious. He's off the bag. Done in a minute. No problem. Why it takes five is ridiculous. So what do you do if, uh, and I'm just throwing this out there, if the Dodgers win this game, uh, come back and win this game by a run, and then you can blame that uh, game on Ozuna leaving early uh, from the bag at third on a uh, an easy, you know, in my opinion, an easy sack fly chance to score. Uh, even though Betts made a great running catch and throw, we don't know. We can't officially say or mark that he would have uh, been safe or scored the run or been out. We don't know because when he left early. I mean, they're showing it again for the 50th time. The bottom line is the guy is well off the bag when he made the catch and they got him. So what if the Dodgers win the game by a run, Moff? I mean, they're going to go back to that Ozuna play, I guarantee you, and say that's the reason they lost the game. Yeah, they are. I don't know if that'd be a fair assessment, though, because, I mean, even if let's say he goes back and tags all the way. Like you said, that three or four steps probably is the reason he's safe. So if he goes back and tags all the way, he either A, probably gets thrown out, or he decides, you know what, I don't think I have this. I'm going to wait and stay at third. And then there's no guarantee they bring him in anyway. So I think either way, you're probably not getting that run in. It's not a situation where, oh, okay, well, if you tagged up, then we have an extra run automatically. All right, so uh, here's what we're going to do. Now a deep drive all the way to the wall and a home run. Now we got a game. You get the solo shot. Right here by the Dodgers, Seager, Corey Seager hits it to dead center, and it's two to one now. So here come the Dodgers all of a sudden waking up. I feel like that one was misplayed, too. It seemed like the center fielder kind of went back and then he hit the wall. I was like, oh, okay. Like, he made like a half jump at it. Like, why are you not in stride trying to climb the wall to make that play instead of just half jumping from, you know, flat feet? Yeah. So anyway, um, that's a huge home run for uh, Seager. Anyway, it's two to one now. Braves get the uh, early lead. Here come the Dodgers. That, uh, you know, you would think that'll wake them up because they look dead to rights early in this game. And uh, now all of a sudden you get a Seager home run and they're down a run. Remember, don't forget, Azuna would have made it uh, 3 nothing, and it'd be 3-1 right now and they'd still have a two-run lead. But they don't because he got nailed leaving early, and now it's a one-run game. I just have this sneaking suspicion that this is going to factor into this game. In my opinion, it already has. <laughs> I mean, without a doubt. It, it would have been 3 nothing. It would have been 3-1 right now. Who knows? Uh, 
All I know is, and remember, and remember this, they had Azuna on, and now here's another drive to left, but they make the play. All I know is I think they had another runner on base. The inning would have kept going, right? So I think, you know, the whole thing was costly for the Braves. They would have been up two runs. They would have been up three runs. Then the home run would have been, they would have still been up two runs. So either way, 2-1 Braves, that's all I know. And uh, they're in the fourth with one out. So, boy, the Dodgers needed that home run from Seager because they uh, just simply have looked like they're dying a slow death here against the Braves in this uh, must win. They absolutely uh, have to win this game. And we all know what the deal is. They're down 3-1 in the series. They have to win the entire uh, way out. They got to win tonight. They got to win Saturday. And then uh, they'd have to win Sunday, right? Isn't that about right, Mafia? They got to win Friday to make it 3-2, Saturday to make it 3-3, Sunday they'd have to win it to win the series. Uh, I I have my doubts that they can actually pull it off because uh, it's just simple. I mean, the Braves have been kicking their ass. (laughs) That's just all there is to it. No one in L.A. can deny it. No one can argue it. You can say whatever you want. You can blame whoever you want. You can go back on your usual pathetic blame. Clayton Kershaw for everything. And then right after Kershaw, they start blaming Dave Roberts and they blame everybody. But the bottom line is, instead of blaming everybody and pointing fingers, I think the reality of it is, is that the Braves have kicked your ass. So why not just give them credit? Because they've done everything to beat you. You know what I mean? Like they've done everything. They've got the pitching, the hitting, the home runs, all of it. Freddie Freeman's killed you. Azuna. Last night was unbelievable. He just lit it up, hit two home runs. He was four for five. I mean, he was jacking uh, shots out, one of them off the second deck uh, light, uh, the uh, signage. I mean, he just blasted one. I mean, he was he had two home runs. I mean, the guy was not messing around at all. So, I mean, it's just been all Braves. This isn't about who do you blame and everything else. Haven't you gotten used to? Haven't you gotten used to Kershaw failing now every single year in the playoffs? Clayton Kershaw is, you know, one of the greatest regular season pitchers ever. What is, you know, ERA in the twos, low twos. And then in the playoffs, his ERA is in the high fours. It's the worst ERA ever for a guy with that many starts in baseball history. It's the same thing every year. It's uh, Clayton Kershaw fails in the playoffs, and then the Dodger fans blame him. So I kind of want to go back and look at that. that Astro game uh, in in terms of, you know, how they got it done, because uh, it really is unbelievable how uh, they've come back and tied this series. It really is. So uh, bottom line, it was, uh, I have to get to the beginning. Oh, that was in the uh, late in the game. I got to look at that. All right. So uh, I guess Adamas uh, doubled the center Lau scored. It was one zip, and everybody was excited for the uh, Rays. And they held that lead until uh, I think it was the fifth inning 
In the fifth, Springer single to center, Gurriel scored, and Diaz scored. So a two-run single by Springer, it was 2-1. Then Altuve doubled to left, and uh, Springer scored. It was 3-1. And then uh, eventually Altuve got to third on a pass ball by Zanino. And then Correa single to left. Altuve scored. Brantley to second. It was 4-1. to one. And then they made it 5-1 in the top of the sixth. Tucker homer to left center. His first playoff home run ever, 5-1. And then uh, you get in the seventh inning, Brantley singled to shall right. Altuve scored after he had singled, got to second on another pass ball by Zanino. And it was 6-1 to one on the Brantley RBI single. Then Tucker hit a sack fly to left. Brantley scored. That was after uh, Correa had doubled the uh, deep center. Brantley went to third. And uh, he eventually scored on the uh, Tucker sack fly, made it 7-1. Then Margot Homer to left, 7-2. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Margot homered again to left center with uh, Lau on. So their whole offense tonight was basically uh, Margot's two home runs, and that was it. And they came all the way back and down three zip in the series. It's now three all with tomorrow uh, the game seven. And that is just crazy, right? It's absolutely crazy. So I, what I want to know is, uh, I, they still haven't announced it, but I think it's going to be uh, Charlie Morton. And then they'll have Glass now ready to, you know, uh, help out, do whatever, if he has to throw uh, innings or whatever it is. Houston scores in this BYU game. It's 14-10 BYU first half. And uh, the first game tonight was crazy. SMU and Tulane went to overtime. SMU won it on an uh, easy field goal. They had tried a 57-yarder at the end of regulation, and the kid hit the upright. He hooked it in and almost made it. He had enough leg, but it hit the upright and uh, and bounced out. So they went to overtime, and they stopped Tulane, and then SMU got the ball, and SMU uh, kicked a field goal and won. So that was that. And um, I was getting Tulane in seven. I had SMU to win and Tulane in seven. I think that number uh, shrunk down on FanDuel before kickoff. I could be wrong. I think on uh, the show today, on Coast to Coast, it was under seven. I think it was either six and a half, six, something like that. Who knows? All I know is uh, I hit both ends of that, SMU and Tulane on both sides of that bet. And then um, in this second game, I went with BYU. They're up 14-10 right now. There's a long way to go. But if you were to guess, Mafia, based on tomorrow's game seven, and if it were, let's say, you know, hypothetically, Charlie Morton pitching for the Rays, can he stop this bleeding and beat the Astros and do what he did in game two? Or are the Astros just going to roll him again and win the series and win four straight? I have a little bit of faith in Charlie Morton. Not that he's the greatest pitcher ever. Not that he's you know, your ace in the hole that you know, he need to get a stop against anybody. He's going to step in there on the fifth day and shut it down and you know, give you a chance. But like you said, he's had good playoff numbers. 4-0 in his career in Tampa. 2-0 against Houston. He not only beat them this year, he beat them last year when they faced him in the playoffs too and lost to them in that that uh, series that they had against them. So the guy just knows what to do, it seems, against Houston and when it you know counts most in the playoffs. So I feel good. And then, you know, you get a good four or five innings out of him at least. You got Glass now coming out of the pen, maybe in a good situation instead of having all the pressure of being the main guy to start the game. I think that could work in their favor greatly with the way that they, you know, work all those pitchers in the bullpen. Hopefully the offense gets a little kick scar going too, because they won't need as many runs you would think with Morton on the mound. So I have to look, uh, Oh, I guess it was Monday's game. Uh, they won Sunday and Monday. 
And then that uh, game on Monday, Morton was the winner. And I just want to look at his numbers from that uh, game when they uh, won that game four to two. Morton went five innings, gave up five hits, one walk, five strikeouts, and gave up no runs. No runs at all. I mean, that's, that's all you need to know. Guy went five innings, gave up five hits, no runs, one walk, five Ks. What more do you need to know? He's the guy to go with. That's all there is to it. Because I know for with that fact. When you only so, need to throw five innings, it's perfect. So Yarbrough went in the next game. And then the game that um, I think that uh, when you look at the game that Glasnow pitched, he was the loser in that game that the Astros finally got to win 4-3. That was game four, right? And Glasnow went six innings, gave up eight hits, four earned runs, two walks, and five Ks. So the Astros scored every run off Glasnow. So there's no decision to be made. It's already been made. It's got to be Morton. Why would you start Glasnow when, when he pitched against the Astros? They scored four runs on him, all earned, and they beat him. You got to go with Morton. He didn't give up any runs. I mean, that's it. He walked one guy, struck out five, and gave up no runs. I mean, that's your best chance tomorrow. You got to go with Charlie Morton and the horse that brought you there. I mean, like they thought Snell was the answer, right? Snell, I, you know, when I was on the air today on Coast to Coast, I think it's pretty obvious what I said uh, was that. You know, I don't trust Snell in this game because I didn't think he looked good the first time he pitched, even though uh, they won. But tonight he was four innings, three hits, two earned runs, four walks, four strikeouts, right? So go back to last Sunday when it started and Snell got the win. And in that game, he went five innings, gave up one earned run, walked two, and struck out two, and gave up a home run, right? So in that one, he threw 105 pitches, and he gave up one earned run. So he was a lot better in that game. When he pitched tonight, he certainly uh, was not the same pitcher, was he? So everybody thought that, you know, I'll give you this. He won the first game, but I didn't think it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Uh, you know, it is what it is. But I bet against him tonight. I took the Astros and I hit the bet. So I bet against their best pitcher. Now I'm sitting here telling you that who would you rather, honestly, in a big game, in a really big game, which is tomorrow, game seven, would you rather start Charlie Morton or or, or Snell? And I would rather, I'll be honest with you, I'd rather uh, start Charlie Morton. He's done more. He's he's pitched in bigger games, World Series, everything. He's he's done it all. And I just don't I, I don't think, you know, I think Snell's pitched in games and playoff games. And I think he's been really good. There's no denying that Snell's good. Right. But I just think in a gigantic situation, in a big game, a, a winner take all game, I would rather start Morton. And. He's been with the Rays now for, uh, you know, we just gave you the numbers, 4-0 in playoff games. The guy doesn't lose. Simple. 
I think it's a simple decision, and he's the man, and let's see if he can do it. Now the question is, are you going to bet on him? Are you going to bet that he can stop this bloodletting and this bleeding that the Astros have done to the race? Not only have they beaten them in three straight, but I think it's safe to say they've sucked the life out of them. It's like Dracula. I mean, they really have just sunk their fangs in them and sucked the life out of them. I mean, they have disappeared. They're not even the same team. I don't understand how you can really, it makes no sense to me how you can kick a team's ass like that and go up 3-0 and then just stop playing. It's unbelievable. It's inexplicable. You can't even describe what you're watching. It's just, how is a team that good? They, they obliterate the Yankees all year. They beat them again in the playoffs. They have destroyed everybody. They're destroying the Astros, 3 nothing in the series. And then they just absolutely, Mr. Freeze? I mean, they are frozen in time. What have they done? Margot's hit a couple of home runs. Choi hit a home run last night. Brandon Lau hit a home run. And he's, you know, one for his last, what, what is he, two for his last 42? That guy's in a slump like no other. I couldn't even believe when he, I almost fell over when he hit that home run last night to dead center field. I couldn't even believe he got a, a bat on the ball. He's been slumping so bad. I don't think I've ever seen a guy slump that bad and stay in the lineup. Cash just keeps going to him every day. I think for his alleged defense, whatever. Listen, I got to tell you, at some point, if a guy can't hit, he can't hit. I'm not putting him in the lineup. But this whole team has gone south. They're not hitting. They're not doing anything. I heard him talking uh, during this game tonight. The announcers talking about how they only hit home runs. Whatever. I mean, that's not cutting the mustard. They aren't doing anything with the bats. Like, I, who cares if a guy hits a solo home run? Seriously, when, when you're losing, those home runs seem meaningless, don't they? I mean, honestly. They're not hitting. So, I mean, that's the thing. Who's going to step up tomorrow in game seven and get hits for Charlie Morton? Or is he going to have the Jacob deGrom factor, which is a guy that wins Cy Youngs every year and is he wins every game he pitches, uh, you know, uh, one nothing. The guy, the Mets never score runs for the guy. Every time he pitched for two years, they never score runs. It's the most unbelievable thing ever. The guy goes out and pitches. Every time he pitches, they don't score. Meanwhile, he's the best pitcher in baseball, but he can't, he can't get any love, can't get any run support. Is that what's going to happen to Charlie Morton tomorrow, that he's going to go out and pitch five innings, give up no runs, and then the uh, Rays aren't going to be able to score any runs? Don't tell me they've been scoring runs, because they haven't. Like, I'm not buying all the, you know, Rhetoric about that they're all of a sudden, you know, in this thing because they can hit home runs or whatever. They're not scoring. They're not hitting. They're not getting on base. The Astros are doing everything. It's pretty obvious to me. Now, here's Houston with uh, about five and change left in the first half uh, inside the 10 yard line of BYU. They were down 14 3 in this game. Then they scored to make it 14 10. And now they're third and goal trying to score on BYU to take the lead. Otherwise, 
if they can't get it here on third and goal, they're going to kick a field goal to try to uh, make it 14-13. So it's a pretty good game. Both games have been pretty good tonight in college football, which is Gandhi for us. I like watching uh, good games when we're in here. Soon enough, when the uh, Mac starts, and you know Maction is coming, they're going to touch down Houston. They scored on third and goal threw it into the end zone at the goal line and caught it bell with the touchdown. So here's the deal. Um, all I know is, is that uh, if you're watching college uh, football every night of the week, it'll be, we'll have Monday night football, NFL, Thursday night football, NFL, right? And then you'll have Tuesday, Wednesday, Maction, Friday night, college football, Saturday, college football, Sunday, NFL pain day. That's seven days a week football. Who needs baseball, NBA, and NHL if you got football seven days a week, honestly? And as long as you have popcorn in the cupboard, you're good to go. All right, for all on a bench on a pain-free Friday. So I was seeing these stories uh, floating around now about this interest the Knicks have. Again, uh, for the second time, I've heard all this stuff about CP3 to the Knicks. And then it's turned into uh, Mello now being interested, allegedly, in coming back to the Knicks if he can play with his pal, uh, Chris Paul. So, you know, we've talked on Coast to Coast and on Pharrell on the Bench about how, frankly, the Knicks, uh, everyone's going to the Knicks and no one ever does. (laughs) Every great player. Have we not heard, like, CB3, Russell Westbrook? I think there was another one in there that we heard, Mafia, that was going to go to the Knicks. And none of them ever go to the Knicks. Uh, It's just uh, Oladipo, that's right. So, Oladipo was the other one. And frankly, I don't even want Oladipo. So the the guy that I saw coming off of his injury, I don't want him. I'll take the guy, uh, Oladipo, uh, prior to that injury. I thought he played terrible in the bubble. But fair enough, he was injured, whatever. But Chris Paul, I thought Chris Paul was unbelievable for the Thunder. There's no denying it. But I have to say, you know, and I thought Mello was incredible for the Blazers in the bubble. I thought he was incredible the whole season for the Blazers. And I personally think that he should stay with the Blazers. I think that team fits him to a glove. I think his game is perfect for that. His 15 a night, he's not shooting 30 shots like he did with the Knicks every single game. It was all about him, and the back pages were all about him, and the radio was all about him, and the TV. Everybody always talked about Mello, blamed Mello for everything in New York. Uh, win or lose, it was always Mello, Mello, Mello. Drove him nuts. And uh, I think he liked being the celebrity uh, on the team in New York. I think he loved being the main man on Broadway, without a doubt, at the at the Mecca. But I think um, it, it grew on him like a weed. I, I just think it became toxic. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm not buying that. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 